the worst thing to do is be silent. Do nothing. Because those of us, all of us on this call, uh, and frankly, anyone who's going to be listening to this, uh, this broadcast here knows the importance of trade. Before we get started with the show, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Global Training Center. As trade compliance professionals, you want to make sure that your procedures and documentation are completed as correctly as possible to avoid any delays and possible fines. We provide a range of trade compliance courses that will fit your needs. From in-person or web training to recorded on-demand courses, we can train one or even thousands on your team through your learning platform or on our portal. We can even customize a private session for your team. Go to globaltrainingcenter.com to find out more. It took forever because the people wanted to take forever. Well, and to that point, let me let me also interject here is that for those of you listening, you may be, all right, we're talking right now about an aerospace situation. You think, well, that doesn't really affect me. However, one of the things that the repercussions of that is that, okay, the damage has been done from an aerospace perspective. So then what happens is then added tariffs or restrictions or whatever came up uh, on other commodities. And I, if I recall, there was uh, on uh, added tariffs uh, and restrictions put on uh, leather goods out of Europe and, and wine. Um, and a whole, uh, I think chocolates were another thing. So that was one thing there on the flip side of it. Then there was retaliatorial type things on us manufactured medical devices and, uh, a few other things. So, I mean, it go, if you don't, if you are in the industry, this is why it's difficult. You can't learn everything out there, but you got to have your context so that if a question comes up you know who to go to here and all that. But uh, if I got that right, Larry is like, that's yeah, where you got, it, you got it exactly on here. It's always fascinating. When you get to the point, exactly as you say, there's now a WT order that says, ah, country, either country, any country wins or loses. Whatever country has won, congratulations, you've won. You can now impose sanctioned tariffs, WTO sanctioned tariffs against them. And it's always great to watch how that happens. Um, and we try to pick on things that um, are really important to them. So like Jack Daniels whiskey, and this is your neck of the woods now, um, um, are, uh, it would be a sanction, a sanction thing. You know, so, w, so Jack Daniels can't be exported as easily uh, around the world here. And we will, we will stop on chocolates because uh, they want to export their chocolate over here. Um, so it's always amusing when we get to that point here. But that, that once again, becomes a, uh, another process of negotiation here. You know. So it takes a long time, and the naysayers would say that means it's not working. And the other way to look at it, it is working. It's designed to follow rules. We're following the rules, and the parties are, by agreement, keeping us out there. WTO never said on its own, we're just going to wait a, a six months or a year to decision it. They make their decisions in a, in a relatively tiny manner. So the Airbus and Boeing dispute was mostly because they wanted to talk, and talking's good. You know, now why they talk, how they talk, that's you know, what they're talking about and whether their talking should hurt other people who are not involved in that dispute. You know, should Jack Daniels or the chocolatiers in Brussels be hurt because Airbus and Boeing are talking? You know, there's delays here and things like that. But that's a, a fair point here. Fair point here for sure. Um, the, the difficulty we have in present time is that the appellate body uh, is, uh, is not working. It's not working anymore. Uh, largely the U.S. Uh, under Trump, but uh, it was eroding before. You have to have a three-judge panel uh, of, the, um, of, the, of the tribunal, and there's not enough. Um, you know, these people have a limited um, um, a limited period of time where they are the uh, they are an appellate judge. I've met appellate judges, and 
I've, I've had dinner with an appellate judge. I sat next to a guy in Mexico City once, and he was an appellate judge from Mexico. But he was the Mexican appellate judge on the uh, WTO. We had a fascinating dinner. Um, and he did not let did not hold back I'm talking about the U.S. about this. He had a strong opinion about this. Uh, but the U.S. has upheld, uh, has stopped the appointment of the appellate body. Then you got to have three judges, and you have a problem because a lot of those judges have conflicts. Conflicts of interest are really key. A lot of these people are lawyers who have done international trade law for private private parties. Well, they're disqualified. So we need to have a big pool of the judges, a full pool of judges, because some are going to be conflicted out. Right now, we don't have enough judges to handle conflicts, and so now we stop. Um, uh, an example of that was a recent case, and one that would bring to the hearts of everyone here. Uh, the Trump tariffs went before the WTO. Um, and uh, as I think every trade lawyer in the, in the entire world predicted, uh, the WTO said no. Uh, that was in violation of the WTO uh, rules on, that we've been holding, holding sound for since 1948. Uh, you, have, um, you, you have no legal basis for that. I think most attorneys would agree. I don't know if I'd find an attorney who would disagree with that. It was um, it violates fundamental precepts of, of unity. Just a unilateral, you'll pay 25%, you'll pay 10%, uh, you'll pay 82%, but it'll go down 25% if you do this. You know, this is a wheel and deal and deal uh, type of thing here. So uh, WTO said, no, w U.S. lost on this and lost very clearly on this. Um, uh, the next day, the secretary, uh, the, the U.S. Trade Representative uh, got up there speaking for the Biden administration and said, yeah, we're going to stick with this. Um, we don't we didn't agree with Trump when he did it. But now that we're here, we're going to we're going to double down on this. And you WTO can't tell us what to do. So we had two strikes here on this. Um, uh, when the Trump tariffs were established, um, there was a concern for those of us who practice in the area of trade law because it was based on national security. It's a very good concept of national security on that. Uh, going back to, again, uh, World War II, national security was in everyone's mind. That was paramount. We just finished a world war. We didn't want a third one. So national security was absolutely inherent in everyone's mind. We did not want to have a Germany or a Russia, that might have been feared, uh, doing the same things and starting off in World War III, in which case all this experimentation in trade was off. National security, if you have another world war, this is all off the table. We go back to our normal ways of, of war. Uh, so national security meant a very specific thing there. Uh, the Trump tariffs, uh, this is one of my articles on this subject. Um, it's going to need more detail here. Uh, um, used an existing U.S. law, uh, became known as the Section 232 uh, steel tariffs. There were others as well, 301, uh, we could talk about it as well. But 232, uh, the president said, that's it. National security is involved here, and we are going to have tariffs um, that that would otherwise violate. I don't think I think you'd probably even agree would otherwise violate WTO rules, except as national security. And specifically said in his various speeches, um, our battleships, our aircraft carriers, our our um, our military bases all need steel. We need to have um, uh, we need to protect our steel industry. Um, and uh, the Secretary of Defense came out and said, "Yeah, we got enough steel." Um, the U.S. U.S. Uh, quantity of steel production is really enough here, and we have our allies like Canada. Canada is our our, sec is our biggest supplier of steel, and they got enough, and we got enough here. There's no national security problem here. The president then shifted to the thing that, sh that put a chill down everyone's spines who do trade law, and he said, "By national security, I just mean jobs. We can do this to protect our economy, and there's nothing anyone can do." 
this arguably, if come, if it is not fixed, it will be the end of world trade law. Because everyone can just say our jobs are at stake, and therefore we are going to have national security. It's not 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 national defense like avoidance of World War III. It is jobs in Pennsylvania, which is where he made the announcement. Uh, he shifted to jobs that are here. So. Uh, WTO looked at that. That's why I want to use that as an example. I looked at that and said, no, that's not good. Um, 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 we have specific rules in the WTO what national security means. And just everyone, every country protecting its jobs, every country wants to protect its jobs. So if we allow that liberal use of the word national security, there's no more, there's no more trade law. Uh, our experiment beginning in 1948 is now over. Uh, and, and just as national security, there's nothing anyone can do about that. USDA came out articulated that very clearly uh, that uh, W2 has no authority here. Um, uh, it can go to then the appellate body. Uh, the United States somewhat um, disingenuously has appealed to the appellate body, which it knows is non-existent because we don't let it exist. And we haven't appointed judges to the, uh, to the panel here. So, so that's where we sort of stand on that right now um, on the, on the Trump tariffs um, on that WTO has spoken very clearly on this. Uh, it will slowly move toward the process where countries were agreed by that. Is one of the things now, the the tactic that Trump was using at that point is obviously WTO obviously disagreed with it. One of the things going on beyond that, though, is <clears throat> as far as the intent, and lots of different administrations have dealt with this, They've tried traditional ways. Trump obviously was non-conventional, but uh, and now you've got Biden. That's I don't know what he's doing, but all that to say, with the the scenario there is that U.S. goods, all these countries around the world have their goods and they manufacture them, and every one of them wants access to the U.S. market. It's obviously the largest economy in the world. Still is at this point, um, and uh, but it's so vast. But when U.S. goods and U.S. companies want to take U.S. goods and go to out, U.S. goods have not been treated fairly for decades in these other countries. It's not been reciprocal. It's like everybody wants the U.S. and then they and when the U.S. goods go out, they don't. It's not. Yeah, I'd be cautious against that much of a generalization. You can certainly point to individual situations where that is certainly true. Uh, we want our cars into China, but they they put cars over here, but now we can't put cars over there. Or there are restrictions on that. Now, we will let you have cars in China, sell cars in China, but you've got to give us the, the patent on this. You know, there's other things that are tied there. Those are fairly good points here. Those should be those should be raised on there. Well, even even for the point, for example, in in Europe. A U.S. manufactured car in Europe gets hit with a significant, especially going into Germany, but a significantly higher duty rate than if you reciprocate and it comes back in. You know, a, a, a duty rate on a Mercedes coming in here is 3% in the U.S. Going the other way, it's like 25%. Well, wait a minute, you know. And, and so here, here's the one thing that I always say. Hey everyone, we're getting ready for another annual ICPA event coming up the week of March 12th in Orlando, Florida. If you have been thinking of attending any of the ICPA conferences, this is the one you should not miss. There will be more sessions than any other conference with a guaranteed sell-off, so hurry and get your tickets today. We are also excited to share that Simply Trade podcast will be in the attendance and we want you to be part of our show. 
Listen to episodes 14, 15, and 16 to find out why you can't miss this conference. Governments will utilize the different trade uh, groups, trade agreements, the WTO, the different entities, and whether it's right or wrong, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm not trying to take a stand one way. I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of we need to be able to compete country to country on cost, on tra- cycle times, you know, and, and, you know, imports, exports, the whole nine yards. So when it goes back and forth, and that's one of the things I think that was coming up is that U.S. goods have not been treated fairly. And so then something needs to be done about, it. well, no matter what's done, somebody's going to holler and scream about it. The question is, and from a legal perspective, you know, we have a rules-based approach or a unilateral approach. Um, and we have done unilateral approaches before. Um, uh, so Trump did a strong unilateral approach. I am the president. I will do this. And he will adjust it by and use that as a bargaining chip. I will 25% across the board, but 10% for you. Uh, if you give us this in the USMCA agreement, we'll, we'll reduce that. It was a bar- and he does do deals. And that's what he did. He writes a book about it. He makes deals. And this is what it was a deal based approach here. Uh, and, um, you know, you know, I, I travel a great deal overseas and see how that comes across overseas. Uh, and I can say this, uh, there's some resentment to that, uh, that approach here. Uh, you have the president of the United States saying um, England uh, or the UK is an enemy of the United States because they're a threat to our national security. I don't know if that's an entirely accurate statement here. So they're offended by that. You know, what does that do to our allies there? Uh, that. But you raise good points there. I mean, uh, the, we, we have a rules-based system. Uh, and if, if, if someone in, uh, is not playing by those rules, they have to face the consequences of that. There has to be a consequence for that. And the consequence of that is to go to the WTO. Uh, your choices are alternatively no rules-based. Anything goes. No rules at all. Uh, and we've done that before. Um, so I'll give you one new development, though, that's, that's giving some promise here. And this is um, uh, out of the fact that the WTO appellate body is not working here. Uh, under Article 25 of the WTO rules, Alternative Dispute Resolution, uh, we started uh, international trade arbitrations. Something new. Um, uh, always been in the rule, but no one's ever done it because there was never a need to do it. We had an appellate body that would pass laws and that would work or pass the rules that were there. So there's a new thing called the multi-party interim appeal arrangement. Multi-party interim appeal arrangement, or MPIA. And basically it is arbitration in lieu of the appellate body work. Fascinating thing. There's been a few of those already here. It is by by uh, agreement. You can't force someone to arbitrate here, but if you have no choice but to arbitrate because the, the, uh, the appellate body is defunct, uh, you now have an appellate body. Um, and I've read some of the decisions on that and, uh, people win and lose and all these things. Um, most part, the, um, the appellate body of the, um, uh, the, uh, the arbitration groups have upheld WTO. So you're not, you're not likely to win, uh, at least historically here, but there is an opportunity here just to use arbitration. They don't use the word binding arbitrations, but since it's the only arbitration you get, it's sort of binding. It's it. You know, you can do here. So the countries are before them, and it is like an arbitra- a, um, a, a multi, it is a uh, like the um, WTO appellate body resolution, but it has some improvements here. It's not bound by the same rules. They use arbitration rules. Uh, they will have preliminary meetings uh, to the hearings to discuss the dispute, try to work it out like any good arbitrator would do, try to identify where the dispute is, where it could work out. 
uh, it is shorter and in some ways um, more fair in the sense that everyone gets to be heard on these things here. So it's way too early to draw any conclusions about this, but it has started already. All right. And with that type of arbitration uh, under the, I guess, the WTO scenario there, that would be government to government. Is that right? Well, the governments are before them. You're right. Uh, and the MPIA makes the decision here. Now, that is that, that is pursuant to Article 25 of the WTO. So that is now a WTO enforceable event. Now, we haven't got that far where the WTO, WTO comes back in to enforce the arbitration through mutual sanctions or anything that way. And we're not there yet. It's just an interesting thing to watch. It's very new. I mean, truly, this is something that's in like uh, in the last year or so. Is that like also with reference to like what we hear, um, what used to be NAFTA arbitration and uh, USMCA now, um, like that that's what you mean by alternate uh, arbitrations as it, well, it's, correct? It's same concept, a little bit different. Uh, a NAFTA arbitration is pursuant only to the NAFTA rules. Uh, right. No, no, exactly. A, but yes. you're right. But the concept is the same as a party will arbitrate um, um, and uh, bring the dispute to an arbitrator uh, or a panel of arbitrators rather than established judges here. Same, same concept, same concept. And the, and the idea of trying to get agreement on who's going to be the arbitrator is going to be, I'm sure, uh, a fun discussion. But to that point, it's so it, we're, here's where I, one of the things I was going, though, is that <clears throat> you've got, you know, it would be the uh, maybe the Department of Commerce or the State Department to be involved and in whatever in uh, different governments as they're talking through that. Then at a more of a business level, people that are out there, if you've got a dispute uh, in, in some kind of a scenario like that, uh, I know the International Chamber of Commerce or ICC has an arbitration uh, uh, function. And uh, so that, that works really well, but that's at the company or individual level versus the country or government level. Yeah, it is private versus public arbitration. The private is the ICC, well-established, decades and decades. And it, it's a, um, I am not an arbitrator, but I know people who do this. This is a you know, legal profession. And the good thing about arbitration is unlike litigation, litigation is you know, more cutthroat. Arbitrators really try to find the middle ground. I mean, whether that's good or bad, maybe you don't want the middle ground. But I mean, the point is there is much more attempt to resolve things amicably where everyone is equally unhappy at the end. Um, and, uh, and then move on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I love that. Equally unhappy. <laughs> the, the arbitrator is happy when they go back. They're both grumbling the same amount. That's a good thing. So, um, so it's, it's something to watch here. You know, um, I'd like to see uh, the, the rule of law. I'm a lawyer. So, I mean, rule of law is everything. I just know where the world is without rule of law. So the law is imperfect. I've been, been practicing 36 years, and it's, I can tell you it's imperfect for sure. And what, trade law is no different than that. It's, it's imperfect in many respects. The alternative is no law um, and, or a very weak law, and that doesn't work for everyone either. So um, my, 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 uh, my pitch for the rule of law as a lawyer would have to do in these cases here. But bottom line is, as, as we close this up here, the um, uh, this is um, – a great topic everyone should watch. And so I really appreciate the opportunity to, um, to share the history because people, talk, people read, you, I cannot stand to anyone, any news. There's no good news on trade in the sense of, when I say good news, in the sense of uh, well, well-researched, thoughtful news uh, on these things here. It's only this happened here and they have a very, um, a very basic knowledge that only comes from talking heads on television. So I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk about the history 
of trade and uh, where that predicts or where we might go in the future, good, bad, or ugly. Well, one of the things that I would like to uh, get your comments on is for people that are in the industry here, and, and I'm talking more from a, uh, not only a, a international trade, uh, maybe you're in the uh, corporate uh, legal side of things, you may be in the compliance arena and, and government affairs and those kinds of things. But with these kinds of issues that come up, it is important to get involved and stay involved in different facets of trade associations so that you can try and stay current with at least your particular industry as well as networking so that it's like, okay, I'm in pharmaceuticals or I'm in, you know, let's say garment manufacturing. Let's, we'll use fashion because that's always a, a topic there. And something's come up and I can reach out to somebody that may be in medical devices of some kind and say, look, this issue's coming up. There's supposedly repercussions. It's in the medical device industry. I don't know about, can you help me out and bring it up to speed? So networking as well as getting involved in trade associations to push your agenda or try and influence, uh, having the association influence lawmakers and different things of that. What, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree hundred percent with that. I would add to that. Um, uh, there are two purposes of trade association. One is exactly, as you say, influence, um, and, uh, make sure that those who really understand trade, those of us who are in the industry, who spent their lives in the industry, uh, understand the importance of trade to the world peace or to, uh, to eradication of world poverty, to equal rights. I mean, there's so many things that are benefited by trade here. But other trade associations are very much about education, you know, being kept abreast of these things here, just you're purely education. So even if you're not gonna hire a lobbyist, uh, but you have, you, you're educated, you come, you come together to learn from each other. So there's a, there's a great, we're, we're very fortunate in this country uh, that for a relatively modest amount of money, there are trade agreements that trade groups that you can join and learn from others that will you can join and uh, lend your voice to congressional interests or things like that. The worst thing to do is be silent. Do nothing because those of us, all of us on this call, uh, and frankly, anyone who's going to be listening to this, uh, this broadcast here knows the importance of trade. They are not going to be the people who have their heads in the sand saying all trade is bad. They see the promise of trade, but they, but they got to be honest about the negative sides of trade as well. It does not always work smoothly. We shouldn't pretend that it does, but we try to make it work a little bit better. And we're all better because, yeah, because of that. It's a good thing. So, but, but I do agree. I have uh, spent a lot of my career helping, you know, different businesses stimulate trade um, uh, and, and, you know, help businesses break into a particular market, uh, and, and, uh, how to, you know, export their goods or import them in from one country to another. And then the distribution and the things of that nature, all of that was when you're stimulating international trade, it's a positive, um, from one culture to another, you know, exchange of, uh, monetary funds, obviously, and all of that. That's great. The scenario there is when you've got that, now you've got, if you will, business entities that are, are involved because when it comes down to it, yeah, government to government's one issue, but it comes down to people. And, and you said it earlier, you know, even in the aerospace, if they are talking, if the governments are talking and people are talking, key is it's people. So, you know, when we're stimulating trade, good, bad, or indifference, like we've got to be communicating with each other and talking with it. And that's just one of the entities that uh, are one of the aspects that we need to be pushing for, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a great promise of trade there. You know, you travel internationally and you see you see the good and bad of trade. You you see abject poverty around the world, um, and uh, you hope that trade will help them, uh, on the or something will help them. You know, this, this trade is only one thing. Um, back and going back to the end of World War II, you had other things: the Bretton Woods Agreement. You had International Monetary Fund, World Bank. Uh, you have private equivalents of that. China has, does a, a serious amount of banking that would rival the IMF these days. You know, the point is that we, how we govern our financial relationships is really critical here. And in terms of priorities here, you want to have trade, but you want to make sure it's good, responsible, um, intelligent trade. A um, good example of that, I think, is the um, uh, uh, so under as fully approved by the WTO. We have a framework for doing these things. We have the, as you know well, Andy and I love the. Uh, um, uh, the um, forced labor um, uh, issues. Uh, the the Uyghur uh, forced labor uh, yeah. prevention act. Yeah, and, and the expansion anti-slavery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's good to you look at these kind of things here. Well, these are these are trade rules. You know, we can China cannot be motivated to use slavery if they want to join the world market. They have to follow certain rules, and if they don't, there's consequences here. So I like this in the sense of. Um, you don't have to go to the WTO about this. You pass a rule that says, pursuant to the WTO, the WTO is certainly against slavery. Uh, if, uh, w, if China wants to go to the WTO and say our restrictions are, are wrong, there's no slavery here, good luck with that. Uh, let them try to do that. They're not, they're not doing that. They're not going to the WTO uh, to talk about defending their slavery here. Uh, they went from the um, uh, there's no slavery in China to, uh, well, we maybe have some slavery, but it's none of your business. Uh, yeah, it, well, it's see, and see, that's where I guess I have the issue is where the WTO is failing. They go in there and there seems to me now, again, just maybe I'm biased, but there seems to be uh, always an, an opportunity where the WTO seems to want to just beat up on the U.S. And it's like, well, no, wait a minute. Look over here at uh, China and what they're doing. Look at what Russia's doing. Come back over and at one point. For example, what Brazil was doing, people will talk about it. If you try and do business down in Brazil, Brazil keeps changing their rules and it makes it real, you know, difficult. It's like, no, wait a minute, stop for a minute. Hence, I will say there was criticism at the time, but Trump basically pulled them out of GSP or the, the, um, trade uh, department there and all that is like, cause you know, they were not reciprocated. They kept putting additional rules on us goods going in there. They got pulled out of GSP. Guess what? All of a sudden Brazil came back around and said, okay, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll adhere to that GSP agreement. Same thing in Argentina. There's another one. Argentina is one sets up barriers and, and it was really more barriers uh, uh, to other countries around the world than more than the U.S. But, I mean, again, it's like, WTO, where are you? You're not saying anything here. Yeah. The, um, uh, it's, it's a decent point. I mean, yeah, protectionism is a natural instinct. People want to protect things here. And so they naturally, especially those who are not well-versed in trade, uh, will think all we got to do is be protectionist. Uh, but protectionist has two sides. Now, if Brazil is protectionist, and you're right, they certainly are. Doing business in Brazil is, is more challenging than Chile. Now, Chile is more open for these things. Argentina is probably better than Brazil as well. But, but yeah, Brazil is, uh, is protectionist. Um, and it makes it hard for U.S. businesses to go in there. Um, and so we will have, we pull, right, we pull out of GSP. But it's a good example of when you have GSP to be pulled out of, you have trade relationships, which are leverage. 
and trade relationships and leverage are a good thing. Um, under the WTO rules, the Uyghur sanctions that we apply under domestic le- uh, legislation work, work. Uh, I think they were going to work. Maybe it's too early to see if they're working yet here. But China wants to be able to join the world and be the be the leader in the world and all these things here. And we WTO can say to China, if you want to do this, you got to follow these rules. And everyone would agree with you, Andy, that China hasn't always followed all those rules here. I'm not sure I'd agree that uh, the U.S. loses these. We win most of our WTO cases. I mean, those are those are just facts. We win. We're good at it. I think it's because we have the best lawyers, but um, but we we, uh, we win a lot of those. But the weaker situation is a very good one here. Uh, we have a leverage. China wants to sell here. Uh, they want to sell cotton here. They want to sell shoes here that are made of cotton here. And so U.S. law, again, all approved by WTO, doesn't violate WTO, it'd be WTO sanctioned here, um, passes rules that say, we're not going to, you can't import here. Flat no, flat no. And what that has done is it's changed the law. And it's a good change, a uh, hard change sometimes. Um, it's not just I'm importing cotton, I'm importing the Nike shoes. And Nike then has to uh, check out their entire supply chain to make sure that it is not slavery anywhere in the, in the supply chain here. This is an exam- example where trade restrictions are working. I think it's good. I think it's good to have here. I would rather have us really fight over cotton slavery and things like that than having um, um, spy balloons going over our country. Yeah, and military uh, actions. I, I mean, I'm right there with you. If we're, even if we don't agree, if people are debating a trade policy of some kind, at least they're talking. So that's, that's, you know, key and, and all of that. But one thing, again, wrapping this up, I I guess we need to come back around on some things. One of the things I think, like you just said, is, uh, with the trade associations, both, uh, you know, staying up to, to speed, providing influence and, and in education, not only on those topics, the other thing is I would challenge uh, our listeners, you need to get yourself and your staff trained, even on basic uh, functionality, you know, how to properly classify, how to handle certain things, how to, you know, uh, even get proficient with Microsoft Office and those things. Why am I saying that? Because it will make you more productive with that improved productivity, it gives you some time now you can spend and actually apply your expertise into literally reading the documents that's in articles such as uh, what Larry's got or anybody else. You may not agree with even the article, but you need to understand what are the points? What's somebody looking at? Uh, if I don't have any, uh, you know, a dog in the hunt kind of thing, I need to know what are the, the facts here so I can try and make my own decision. Because you need to be able to communicate up your chain to be able to say, hey, here is this particular issue, and these are the pros of it. Here are the cons. It's my opinion that we should go this way. Or if you don't have an opinion, but you need to have your executive management be able to um, make a decision, say, which direction do you want to go? You've got to give them the facts. That means you got to educate yourself, and that's where you network in the industry. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. Education is really the key here. Uh, good, responsible trade people are educated, understand the, the ethics of trade, the rules of trade, the documents of trade, all these things. If you are not educated, you are very fooled by the manipulators. There are people who get up there and say, here's, here's a fact on trade. And every trade lawyer and every trade practitioner says, that is nowhere close to the truth. But if you don't know the difference between the truth and the, and, you know, you, you have not educated yourself on those things, you, are, you can easily fall victim. Uh, to those who will distort uh, trade, who will just lie about it. 
Well, Larry, I greatly appreciate this has been a great, man, I'll tell you what, I love talking with you, man. You are just a wealth of information. It's always a pleasure to get to talk with you. Well, good. appreciate the opportunity. This is a very, my favorite topic to talk about. And as a whole, helpful and uh, uh, we can get a hold of me. We want to talk about some more. I got, I got three articles on this stuff on LinkedIn. They can look at that and or something to talk. And like you say, I'll probably see you at some conference here. So. Well, definitely, and we're going to be doing some follow-up on this one. I think it'll be uh, interesting, especially when the development of some of the uh, the spy balloons and whatever these other uh, – is like, okay, what countries are involved, whatever, does that impact trade? We may do a follow-up with that. So. Yeah, definitely. Lala, what do you think, buddy? Well, thank you. No, well, this was a, a very interesting conversation. I mean, it's, uh, we really dug in there with a lot of details and uh, – just so that everybody knows, if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, you got a a condensed version of it. If you want to listen for the entire thing, because we were we're at about an hour here, um, uh, you, please do uh, look for it in um, on video format. Just check the show notes on where to go and and watch the full length uh, because uh, this is definitely something that um, you You'll do need to know about. Yeah, exactly. That you'll always reference to. You're right. I mean, Larry just talked about being educated. This is one form of getting yourself educated on this and and, uh, and just know what's going on so that uh, you can, uh, even to your own uh, management team, right, Dandy? We've been talking a lot about that. You know, talk to them and at least uh, give them at least um, um, a good um, sense of what, what uh, how that affects trade, even for you internally. So. Well, one of the things that comes into play is executives, um, <clears throat> especially a larger uh, company, are going to be, you know, rubbing elbows with a lot of high-level government officials usually. At some point, you want to make sure that your government your, or your executives have talking points on whatever it is. Don't try and brief them on everything under the sun. Give them some good talking points. But you've got to know your business and be prepared so that you can empower your leadership with the talking points. So, all right, folks, this has been a good show. To those listening again, we thank you so much. Please like this, uh, share it, uh, talk about it, give us some feedback. If there's uh, things you like, don't like, whatever, let us know, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, take your uh, feedback to heart. So, with that, I guess we need to bid uh, everybody a good day. Thank you, everybody. Yes, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Larry. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. 
The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed. Thank you.